0: Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Belglade Alliance Church. Belglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Belglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.belgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. I want to begin this morning with three stories my wife often tells me that my sermons need to have more stories, so I figured the best way to do that was to start out with three of them this morning. The first one is a story of a young man. A young man who was introduced to, uh, to Jesus from a world that God didn't, wasn't even a part of. Uh, and this young man comes to faith in Jesus and instantly his entire life is transformed. Everything's different. In fact, he sees the entire world now through a completely different set of lenses. Instantly, his all of his priorities are completely changed. What seemed like the most important things to him before are now of no importance at all. And things he never tended to before, never thought about before, had no value to him before, are now the most important things. And this young man is passionate in worship. He's passionate in prayer, and he's passionate in Bible reading. Because in the midst of these acts, he is recognizing and celebrating a communion with God. And he tells everyone he meets who this God is and what this God has done. And yet, several years later, this young man's zeal, this young man's passion, have largely faded. He still loves Jesus. He still goes to church. However, his prayer and Bible reading have now become more sporadic. He doesn't often tell people about Jesus anymore. Uh, In fact, all of these things that came so naturally at the beginning of his relationship with Jesus have somehow become even more difficult, at times feeling more even like a chore. And he feels guilty from this, and he asks the question, why? What on earth has happened? Here's our second story. A Christian woman experiences nearly constant guilt and shame because she has long suffered from the same sinful pattern in her life for which she can't seem to find freedom. She tries to resist temptation. But the harder that she fights, the harder it seems to resist that temptation, and she fails at it seemingly every single time. And then she's overcome with guilt and shame upon guilt and shame. Her friends in church have no idea. They don't know anything about it. She has become really good at hiding her true self behind her mask. They have no idea about the struggles that lie underneath it. She always worries, though, that those around her will start to see cracks in the mask or or figure out what's going on behind the scenes. She knows she needs to do better. She knows she needs to be better, but she just keeps failing. She wonders, how could God possibly still love me? How did I even get here? Here's the third story. A pastor looks out at his dwindling congregation on a Sunday morning, And he wonders why so few have remained faithful through the years. Sure, some have moved away, some have passed away, but that hardly explains the many obvious absences, the many empty seats, and the memories of those who once filled them. So many people, once so connected, so on fire, so vital to the community of the church, just fell away from the church, from Jesus, and the pastor wonders, where did I go wrong? What happened? I didn't say they'd be happy stories, I just said they'd be stories this morning. I'd guess that there were elements in either one or, or even many of these stories that perhaps resonated with you on some level. I know there was for me. And and you might even start to guess, perhaps which ones. Um, These stories are representative of countless conversations that I've had with numerous Christians uh, over the many years that I have been a part of the church, not just in ministry, uh, but just as a believer, a new believer all the way up to 20-something years in my faith in the Lord. These are not representative of one or two or three individuals, but countless individuals with similar stories such as this, which is why I'm pretty confident that most, if not all of us, can resonate with at least some of the elements of one or more of these stories. Yet I think that the scarier thing is that most people, when they experience these kinds of things, just push on without diagnosing the problem or addressing it, and these things don't go away or get better on their own. And so that's going to be my goal for us over the next couple of weeks I want to draw attention to a cancer that plagues the church. And when I say the church, I mean big-scale church, not just our local church. But of course, I'd also argue that this cancer plagues our church, Belle Alliance Church. And if you hadn't realized, that last story described us quite well. It's not, it's not just us. Like I said, these are indicative of numerous stories, numerous uh, individuals and churches that I have met with and spoken to over the course of my time with Jesus. But certainly, this last story, it didn't take much of a leap to figure out this is the boat that we're in as well. So what is this cancer? What is this problem that affects Christians, that affects churches, I would argue that it's a misunderstanding about and a failure to practice life with jesus so let me go ahead and explain this i say a misunderstanding because all of us have some idea in our minds about what it means to have to live a life with jesus all of us do maybe we've never intentionally thought about it but our mind kind of puts together a picture of what that's supposed to look like, and so we act according to those things that we believe about it. So we always have ideas about what it means to live life with Jesus. However, again, I think that many of these ideas that we have are maybe culturally formed, or they're presumed by us, but they're not necessarily based on Scripture. They don't accurately represent what life with Jesus is supposed to be, what God intends for it to be in our lives. And because of that, we're not necessarily living life with Jesus, at least the way that he intends for us, even though we thought that we had been all along. And so naturally, because of that, there are gonna be deficits. Deficits in our spiritual lives, deficits in the life of the church, deficits in living out our mission in the world. So why? Why are there deficits? Because all the fruit that God desires to produce in us, all the good that God desires to do through us, flows out of that life with Jesus that we're intended to have. So I'll say it again. Why are there deficits? Because if we're not living life with Jesus the way God intended it, we're not going to produce that fruit because it is through that life with Jesus that all of those other things that God expects of us flow naturally. So again when we're not living life with jesus the way god intends then the passion and zeal of the young man's newfound faith turns stale with time when we're not living life with jesus the way god intends the christian woman sees the christian life as a list of do's and don'ts that she can't live up to and so she exists in a constant state of guilt and shame when we're not living life with jesus the way god intends then it becomes very easy to walk away from the church because you find it boring. Or you enjoy staying home on Sunday mornings. Or you'd rather prioritize the, bar, the, the ball game. Or you just get burnt out. And these are just some of the ramifications of not living the life with Jesus the way he has called us to do it. And so friends, our life with Jesus is the most important thing. And so we'd better understand rightly what it is and we better be intentional about it. So that's my desire for us. So I've used this term many times here this morning already, life with Jesus, life with Jesus is on the screen behind me. So let me define that for us. What do I mean by life with Jesus? Let me go ahead and start out perhaps with some synonyms that you might be familiar with in other contexts, uh, other ways that this concept perhaps has been referred to. So here's, here's two that are the most common, at least the way I perceive them. Uh, Intimacy with Christ and relationship with God. Perhaps you've heard of those uh, or heard those phrases referenced. So why are the synonyms important? I think that they're important because they paint a picture of what I mean by life with Jesus. So let's take intimacy with Christ, for instance. Intimacy means closeness. It implies a mutual closeness. Two people drawn in together uh, in, you know, that's that's what intimacy is so how often uh do we just trust that you know jesus is there but we don't bother to draw close except perhaps in times of trouble raise your hand if you're really good at going to jesus when things are hard oh i can't be the only one there you go yeah when it's easy then right oh my goodness i'm recognizing my need for jesus i need to go to him because i can't solve this problem that's easy But how often is it that that's the only time that we're intentional about leaning in and being close to Jesus when we're desperate for him or when we recognize our desperation for him? How often do we seemingly forget all about Jesus's presence until that moment that awakens us or reminds us of his presence? And so when we talk about nurturing our intimacy with Christ, we mean being intentional about fostering that closeness with Jesus all the time, not just in those times when we so desperately need it that we're aware of it. How about relationship with God? That's another good synonym to this life with Jesus that we're talking about, relationship with God. For a while back in the 90s, one of the many Christian cliches was, Christianity is not a religion it's a relationship. Raise your hand if you've heard that or used that. Yeah, that was a big one. When I first came to Christ, everybody was saying that. I thought it was in scripture somewhere. That's how often people were saying it. Um, and that's true, right? There's something distinct about the Christian faith and these other world religions. We have an a, a active relationship with the living God, or at least that's what we're called to have. Uh, and while so while that's true, most Christians are not consistent in this. Think about it. We're quick to boast that we have a relationship with God, but do we treat that relationship with God the way we would treat a relationship that we cared about, that we want to nurture? Think of your marriages and the work that has to go into that. Think about your relationship with your kids and the work that has to go into that. Do we really work on our relationship with God in the same way? We either fail to truly believe that we are in a relationship with God or we fail to act as though we are in that relationship with God. But relationship is a really important word for us to use in understanding our life with Jesus. After all, good relationships take intentionality. Just try to go through your marriage for five years, for one year without being intentional about building relationship with your spouse. You'll be seeing me for pastoral uh, marriage counseling. It just doesn't work. You have to be intentional. It takes time and energy and communication and trust and a whole lot more that has to be nurtured on a regular basis. And when we lack in these things within our relationships, our relationships fail. When we thrive in these things in our relationships, our relationships are successful. So why would we think it's any different when it comes to our relationship with God? Like any relationship, it takes intentionality. It takes nurturing so when we talk about our life with jesus i most certainly mean our intimacy with christ i certainly mean our relationship with god When we go a little further i like definitions you know going to college writing papers your professors are very big at telling you you must define your terms don't just assume that everybody understands a term or a phrase the same way you do so i like definitions so here's my definition for life with Jesus. By life with Jesus, I mean this, that mutual and intentional relationship between us and Christ through which we continually grow in our understanding and experience of his love, in our desire to be obedient to him and to be transformed by him, and our willingness to be on mission with him. I could have made this even longer if you're thinking that was already long, but I tried to pare it down. I'm going to say it again. That mutual mutual and intentional relationship between us and Christ, through which we continually grow in our understanding and experience of his love, in our desire to be obedient to him and to be transformed by him, and in our willingness to be on mission with him. If you look through the scriptures, this is what God calls us to in the relationship that he set up for us to have with him. And these are the elements that need to be in place if we want it to thrive. This is what we mean by our life with Jesus. And let me just spend a few moments just breaking this apart for you. And so the first part is this that it's a mutual and intentional relationship. We don't seem to have any problem recognizing what God's role in our relationship is. Um, sometimes we put more on God uh, than He promises but we know that God has a part and that God never leaves us and that God's always active in our lives. We recognize the fact that God is engaged intentionally in this relationship, but we forget the fact sometimes that this is a mutual relationship and we're called to be intentional on our end of this mutual relationship as well. So it is a mutual and intentional relationship. And in this relationship, we continually grow because guess what? You didn't go to front to the altar, kneel down, say a prayer, and then all of a sudden you just got it. Raise your hand if you've perfectly got it, if you know everything, if you're doing this all really well right now. I won't even pretend to raise my hand, not even as a joke, right? Because guess what? You don't believe in Jesus and then you've arrived. You believe in Jesus and now the work is beginning. Now the process is starting. And so in all things in the Christian faith, we are continually growing. And the same is true here. And here's some of the things that we continually to grow in, in terms of our relationship with God, in terms of our life with Christ. We continually grow in understanding and the experience of his love. You know, we read this book and we see a lot of examples of God's love. We see examples of God's love in times past that have implications for God's love for us today. We see examples of it. We see the Bible uh, authors speaking the, just directly about the love that God has for us. And so we can learn about it. We can understand it better. But then also, as we plug in, as we, as we lean into our relationship with God, as we nurture our life with Christ, we begin to experience more and more, that love that we've been reading about in the Bible. It's not just some abstract idea, it's now real in our lives, part of our story of our relationship with God. And so, as we continually walk with God, as we continually nurture this life with Christ, we grow in both our understanding and our experience of God's love for us. We also continually grow in our desire to be obedient to Him and our desire to be transformed by him. Don't miss the word desire. Because when we look at this book as a list of do's and don'ts, when we reduce Christianity down to a list of do's and don'ts that we measure ourselves by, we don't feel real good in terms of it. We know our failings, and so it becomes a burden, a chore, a heavy yoke when we think about the things we're supposed to do and the things we're not supposed to do. That is not what it's meant to be. If we nurture first our life with Christ our intimacy with Christ our relationship with God out of that grows a desire to be obedient to him out of that grows a desire to do things that please him and to avoid the things that displease him and so that as that desire grows so does our desire that he would do a work in us that we can't do ourselves that he would continue this good work of sanctification that he began and he's carrying on to completion. We recognize our need to be obedient, we desire to be obedient, and we want him to change and clean up whatever is inside that's standing in the way of that happening. We continually grow also in our willingness to be on mission with him. After all, we recognize that jesus was all about saving lost people in fact that's the whole purpose for which he came it's the reason he went to the cross it's the reason we're sitting here today because the spreading of the good news was the most important the ultimate function of the church from the very beginning and it will continue until jesus comes back and we're all beneficiaries of somebody who in that line has proclaimed the good news to us because yeah, this is Jesus' desire. We see right in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this command to go and make disciples of all nations. But at the very end, it says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so it is our desire that grows within us. The more we know Jesus, the more we lean into our life with Jesus, that we desire to be on mission with Jesus doing the work that he is always doing here's the thing we cannot truly experience the Christian life that we're called to without prioritizing our life with Jesus I'll say it again we cannot truly experience the Christian life that we're called to live without prioritizing our life with Jesus and I want to demonstrate that in three different ways this morning And I'll go ahead and list them for you now. Our life with Jesus is meant to be all-encompassing. Our life with Jesus is meant to mirror Jesus' life with the Father. And our life with Jesus makes the Christian life possible. We're going to look at these three things together. So here's the first one. Our life with Jesus is meant to be all-encompassing. We see this in many places, but one of the clearest places is in an Old Testament passage, which Jesus repeats during his ministry, and we have recorded in the Gospels in the New Testament. And so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, some of you were wondering if I was going to open my Bible today. Yes, we definitely are. Uh, Open up your Bible to Mark chapter 12, and we are going to start in verse 28. It will be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Mark 12, starting in verse 28. Here's what it says. And again, remember, Jesus is in the middle of a situation and he's drawing on a passage from the Old Testament, a very important passage from the Old Testament. Here's what it says. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, "'Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength.' The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. "'Well said, teacher,' the man replied. "'You are right in saying that God is one "'and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I want to zero in on verse 30 here. A passage that I hope is not unfamiliar to you. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Something ought to stand out to you there. It is a three-letter word repeated over and over and over again. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. For those keeping score, that's four alls. That's all of the alls. Not only is all repeated over and over, but when you consider the four aspects of humanity that we're called to love God with all of, it doesn't leave anything out. Our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, everything we have, we are to commit all of it to the love of God. We're called to love God with all of everything we are and everything that we have. Now, earlier I said that we misunderstand life with Jesus, and as a result, we fail to practice life with Jesus. And this is tremendously evident here. I say that because the best intentioned Christians I've spoken with over the years relate their life with Jesus in these terms. Jesus has the top spot in my life, the biggest piece of my life. He's my top priority. These may not sound like bad things, on the surface, they sound good, actually. However, they're often understood and expressed in the wrong paradigm, and therefore they're largely faulty. And I want to explain this a little bit this morning. We tend to compartmentalize our lives. that's that's just the way we as Americans live. That's just the I don't know why uh, we weren't taught this in grade school, but this is the way it is, right? We think of life in terms of This is my work life. This is my home life. This is my church life. This is my hobbies. This is my friend life. And almost like a pie chart. And we feel like we're doing well if God has the biggest piece of our pie chart. You know, if he's got 50%, man, we got this together and all the rest falls into the other 50%. Or we think of it in terms of a priority list. All these things are important, but God's just more important than everybody else. This is a wrong way to look at it why because when you look at this passage when you see the word all and it means all of everything you are and everything you have and everything you do if we're building a pie chart there's nothing else here's a better way to look at it because god instructs us to be involved in different aspects of life right he calls us to work that's in the scriptures Okay? Uh, he calls us to commit to our family. That's in the scriptures. That's okay. These things are good, right? He gives us the desire for recreation and rest. That's good. Build that in. But here's the thing. God is not a category unto himself who's divorced from all these other areas of life. To truly love God with all means that every triangle in your pie chart it means that everything on your priority list, every aspect of your life, God transcends it. Your life with Jesus transcends work. It transcends your family. It transcends every aspect of your life. It is all-encompassing. Our life with Jesus is meant to be all-encompassing. That means that we have to stop seeing our life with Jesus as that thing we do on Sunday morning. Or during that 20-minute quiet time, or, or or during my Alliance women's meeting once a month, or my Alliance men's meeting once a month. That's that's not what it is. It's meant to be all-encompassing. We need to start understanding that our life with Jesus is supposed to happen at work. It's supposed to happen when we talk with our neighbors, when we hang out with our friends, when we relate to our spouses and our kids and even our in-laws. Uh, When we're driving to West Palm, when we're in conflict with another person, when we're checking out at Burger King, regardless of the service we may or may not be getting, doesn't matter. Our life with Jesus is all-encompassing and transcends every aspect, every relationship, every place we go, everything we do, everything. And I guarantee you that we we either don't think about it like this, Well, we don't live like we think about it like this. But friends, we need to do this or we are not going to receive the blessings that God has in store for us in our life with Jesus. We're not going to be effective in the ministry he's called us to or in the mission beyond the walls of this church if we don't do this. Our life with Jesus is meant to be all-encompassing. Our life with Jesus is also meant to mirror Jesus' life with the Father That ought to take you aback for a minute. Our life with Jesus is meant to mirror Jesus's life with the Father. In his book, Reason for God, Tim Keller describes God in this way. He says, Christianity alone among the world faiths teaches that God is triune. The doctrine of the Trinity is that God is one being who exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity means that God is in essence, in his very essence, relational. The Gospel writer John describes the Son as living from all eternity in the bosom of the Father. An ancient metaphor for love and intimacy. Later in John's Gospel, Jesus the Son describes the Spirit as living to glorify him. In turn, the Son glorifies the Father and the Father the Son. This has been going on for all of eternity. You know, God doesn't just call us to relationship with him as if it's his only relationship. You know, God has been an eternal relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's never been a point where God was not in relationship, the three persons of the Trinity. And so when we think about him calling us into a relationship, that we might have a relationship with God, it is one that's mirrored on God's relationship the three persons of the Trinity within the Godhead. Now, Keller gives some examples, and there are many more in the Gospels beyond the ones he lists. The fact is that there are many similarities between the relationship that we're called to have with Jesus and the relationship that Jesus himself has with his Father. Consider passages like this, John 5.30. Jesus says, By myself, I could do nothing. I judge only as I hear... And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. And so Jesus is talking about his own ministry in relationship to his relationship with his father, his life with the father. And so here's just some of the things we can see from this one verse. That Jesus can do nothing apart from the father, at least in his earthly ministry. The things that he does do, he does them to please the father. And he is sent by the Father. He's on mission, commissioned by the Father to do the things he's doing. Now think about the relationship we're called to. We can do nothing apart from Christ, as we'll soon see. We're called to live in such a way that we do what pleases Christ, not what pleases us. And we have been sent, commissioned by Christ, in the same way that he has been sent or commissioned by the Father. Here's another example. John 14, 10 through 11, Jesus says, "'Don't you believe that I am in the Father "'and that the Father is in me? "'The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. "'Rather, it is the Father living in me "'who is doing his work. "'Believe me when I say that I am in the Father "'and the Father is in me, "'or at least believe on the evidence "'of the works themselves.'" And so Jesus here speaks with the authority given to him by the Father. Wait a second, he's God the Son, He's divine. Yeah, and yet even so, he, 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 his ministry, his doing, the, what he's doing, the way he speaks, he does all of those things under the authority that's been given to him by the Father. The Father lives and works through Jesus. And the close relationship is described in terms of Jesus being in the Father and the Father being in Jesus. And again, likewise, when we consider our relationship with Jesus... We speak with the authority that Jesus has given to us. That's the whole great commission. Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, he therefore commissions us to go under his authority to do the things that he's called us to do. We speak with the authority that Jesus has given to us. Jesus lives in us and works through us by his spirit. And in terms of the close relationship that Jesus has with the Father, he also speaks of us in the same terms just a few verses later. Here's the same chapter, John 14, verses 15 through 20. Here's what it says. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Think about this. The same terms in which he just described his relationship with the Father, that he is in the Father, and the Father is in him, now he incorporates his followers into that same relationship. Just as he is in the Father, so you are in me, and I am in you. And we're talking in the same context just a few verses later. Our, our life with Jesus is meant to mirror Jesus' life with the Father. And if that's the case, then we really better be reading the Gospels and taking note of Jesus' relationship with the Father and the implications that it has, perhaps, for our relationship with Christ. If that's the case, we ought not to take for granted this special relationship that we've been called to. And our life with Jesus is completely incompatible with the business-as-usual way that we tend to carry ourselves in this world. And lastly, our life with Jesus makes the Christian life possible. Our Our life with Jesus is the only thing that makes the Christian life possible. Now, I'll be addressing this in more detail in the coming weeks. However, I want to share at least one verse of scripture that makes this clear. And it's from John chapter 15, verse 5. It'll be up on the screen. We studied this in Sunday school this morning. Here's what Jesus says to his followers. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing hear that he's the vine we're the branches we're in him he's in us if only by by remaining in him can we bear fruit what's bearing fruit producing the works of the Christian life doing the things that we're called to do but apart from him apart from remaining connected to the vine we can produce nothing nothing of value nothing that honors God The verse is housed in this larger metaphor Jesus is using to describe our dependence on him in the production of the fruit of the Christian life. And we're gonna explore it in depth in the coming weeks, as I said. However, the essence of the passage is summarized in this verse. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. As long as we're connected to him, he provides everything that we need so that good fruit is produced branches have no ability to produce fruit on their own and this is evidenced by the fact that if they're disconnected from the vine guess what happens it's not just that the branches don't produce fruit they wither and die we're in an agricultural town we know that better than anybody right what happens if you break a branch off and lay it on the ground does fruit come out of it no it dies because it has to remain connected and be nourished Far too often, I think, we live our lives trying to produce fruit instead of trying to remain connected to Jesus. Too often, we focus on the fruit. We try to produce the fruit that we know is supposed to come from the Christian life. And we focus so hard on that that we neglect the remaining in Jesus, the life with Jesus, the very thing that makes fruit possible. And so we work backwards, and it's never going to work. The young man in the first story I said today began his Christian journey connected to the vine. He was cherishing his life with Jesus at the start. As time went on, he went through the motions of the Christian life. He went to church, he read his Bible. However, he completely lost sight of what was missing. His intimacy with Christ, his relationship with God, his life with Jesus, he forgot to cling to the vine. The Christian woman in the second story saw the Christian life as a list of do's and don'ts that she had to be obedient to. And every time she fell short, she spiraled into guilt and shame because she forgot that you don't need to get yourself right to have a relationship with Jesus, but it's through that relationship with Jesus that he walks with you through this process of sanctification and will bring the fruit of the Christian life. The pastor in our third story recognized the empty seats which were filled were once filled by people who didn't recognize their need to remain connected to the vine and a pastor in that same situation stands before you today right now to remind you right here right now to remain connected to the vine to nurture your life with Jesus. There is no more important thing. Our life with Jesus is the only thing that makes the Christian life possible. So how do we nurture our life with Jesus? For starters, let's embrace the right paradigm, okay? Let's get rid of the misunderstandings that we had before. It's a relationship that requires intentionality. God's always intentional. We need to be intentional too. It's intimacy that requires closeness. And while God is always present, we need to lean into him. It's all-encompassing, transcending every area of our lives all the time. It's pattern after Jesus' relationship with the Father, which we have the ability to observe clearly through the scriptures if we pick it up and read it and regard it. It requires recognition that we cannot accomplish even the basic functions of the Christian life, not to mention the big mission of the Christian life apart from Jesus the vine. What else? Prayerfully consider how you might take back your time from areas of your life that run away with it. So I'm going to ask some questions. You don't have to volunteer to answer, but I do want you to think about what the answer might be how many hours a day do you spend watching television how many hours a day do you spend on social media how many hours a day do you spend browsing the internet talking to friends reading books sitting at the beach take back some of that time the number one argument that I get from people were why they don't nurture their relationship with God their life with Jesus I just don't have the time but if we actually take stock of where our time goes it's actually quite embarrassing. It was for me. I, t- I, t- I, took, I took, okay, how many hours have I watched television? Yeah, your pastor watches too much television. He needs to pare that back. God's convicting him of that. We spend a lot of time on things that ultimately are not important. And we don't have enough time for the things that are ultimately important. So take back your time and reallocate it for the things that are of ultimate importance. Find the ways that you best connect with the Lord and make these a priority in your life. What do I mean by that? Perhaps you connect best with God outside in the midst of nature. Well, guess what? That's great, Then get outside in nature with your Bible. If that's the place where you feel most connected with God, where you're most amazed by Him, where you're less distracted, where you can appreciate Him more, where worship just comes naturally, well, guess what? Get your hiney pants outdoors. Do you connect with God best in times of quiet reflection? Oh, great. Get somewhere quiet. Grab a journal and a pen and just be silent before the Lord. You need to figure that out. How do I best connect with God? And if you know that, do something about it. You know, self-discovery can be your friend in terms of nurturing your life with Jesus. He created you a specific way. Learn that and lean into that. And finally don't go it alone man we we have too many Lone Ranger Christians and that never works there is not one context in this book in which God in which God's people have ever been just independent solo you know I got my relationship with God you got your relationship with God it's always in the midst of community this is the 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 peril of our Western society is we are a bunch of individualists we need to learn to do our life with Jesus together with other Jesus followers. This is what we're called to. And so don't go it alone. The Christian life, even your life with Jesus, was never meant to be solo. Find another person. Find a group of people to journey through life with, to pray with, to study God's word with, to hold you accountable, to encourage you. And guess what? If you come on Sunday mornings, we're really glad you come. This is your church family. But most of the things that we're called to do as the family of God cannot take place from 11 to 12 while you're sitting there listening to me or facing front singing songs to God. Those things that we do are important, but if that cannot be the end result of your plugging in with God's community to live life with Christ among other people, come to our discipleship group on Thursday, come to Sunday school, come to Alliance men and women, look for more opportunities to plug in with God's people. We all need it. Let's not deprive ourselves of it. This is what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. And I really hope that all of us will experience the blessings that God has in store for us as we prioritize the most important thing, our life with Jesus.